I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Miriam Edelson joins me now. She's just published a collection of essays, The Swirl in My Burl. It's a fascinating title, too, but you'll have to buy the book to get what it means. In the book, with honesty and humor, Miriam writes about her upbringing, what her parents were like, what it's like being a mother, raising a son and a daughter, losing her son, and being being an activist throughout her life. Miriam is uh, also rather candid in talking about living with mental illness, illustrating how it's like an unwanted guest that visits, and uh, she writes about how she's had to contend with it and, and its uh, attendant difficulties physically and emotionally and publicly. Uh, Miriam uh, Edelson is a neurodivergent social activist, settler, and mother. Her literary nonfiction, personal essays, and commentaries have appeared in the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, CBC Radio, and other outlets. She completed a doctorate in 2016 at the University of Toronto focused upon mental health in the workplace. This is her third book, and it's published by Adelaide Books, uh, the website for more is at miriamedelson.com. She uh, joined me from Toronto last week. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Miriam Edelson. Dr. Edelson, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good yourself. Good. Thank you. Um, there are uh, a couple of pieces in the book, The Swirl in My Bro, where you, you talk about um, uh, uh, what it was like during the pandemic. These last uh, three years or so... Um, you mentioned in the book that you know they were spent in isolation from mm-hmm. others on the sword, and, and it, 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 I guess it did afford you a, a, a lot of time to write, did it? Yes, it did. Um, you know, the pandemic—we're not finished yet, obviously, with right. the pandemic. But in the early years of it, um, I really spent a lot of time reflecting and writing on different kinds of life issues that I was either had or, you know, am dealing with now. And I found that, um, I mean, isolation can be good for a writer as long as you can come out of it as well. Right. The thing that that, uh, struck me as I was reading the the, the book was um, uh, you're very candid on on a number of subjects. Is, Is candor something that's easy for you? I wouldn't say it's easy, but... It feels like it's the only way to go when I'm trying to write through, like some of the issues that I cover around the loss of a child or my own mental health, which the two being related to some extent, obviously. Uh And I just, it just felt like it was authentic to write what was going on. And I think that's what will surprise a lot of people is that that someone who is a writer, most writers are generally introverts. And um, the process of writing is generally something that one does alone, um, and yet um, can be so candid or so honest, uh, unfailingly honest, in, in the case of uh, some of the pieces in this world in my bro, um, and yet getting those to readers um, at the same time. I mean, I, I think that will fascinate a lot of people. Um, getting one's thoughts out to readers, so Miriam... Uh, that's obviously a lot of work, a lot of rewriting. Um, yes. Do you find that, that, that there's, there's a, a bit of hiding sometimes? I mean, uh, when you look back, do you think to yourself, well, maybe that's a little too personal, maybe I'll take that out? There's a little bit of that, because, of course, every essay goes through several, many edits, right, before it uh-huh. gets sent out anywhere. And um, 
occasionally I'll take things out or there's some essays that I decide not to send anywhere at all because they really are for me um, and might hurt people close to me. So I have to watch that as well. I think that's a big issue for memoir, people writing memoir. Um, you know, how you portray the people who in your life who have had different kinds of impacts on you. Um, you know, in the case of my parents, some of it is good, some of it is not, and none of these pieces were written while they were alive, for example. Yeah, that's something that you have to navigate with your daughter. Uh, you mentioned in the book that um, uh, there was there was some tension or some distance between the two of you um, at one point, and then you realize it had to do with, with a, an essay that you published elsewhere mm-hmm. that... Um, uh, I guess she didn't expect, I guess, or she, she hadn't read before, right? That's right. And I learned a lesson there, which is to most things to be able to show them to her prior to publishing or going on the radio with a lot of information. Um, I think I have to say about that, that it's, you know, you try to protect your kids. and sometimes, And that's what I thought I was doing by not giving her some specific information about my past. Sure. Um, But that's not how it felt to her. And one has to navigate that very carefully. Did did she read uh, this book before it was published? Much of it she read, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's the interesting thing, isn't it, that that, um, uh, one writes, obviously, from a place of truth or experience, um, and yet, at the same time, uh, people depicted therein or adjacent to uh, might see something totally different. And if you're if you're continuing a relationship with them, like if they're still around, especially, um, that that sometimes comes in conflict, doesn't it? The one's truth and and whatever relationship one wants uh, wants to have with someone else, right? I think that's true, and I think. In my case, what I've learned is the relationship comes first. And so if there's a way to do, you know, my authentic truth and minimize or not affect the others in my life, that's an important step. You you, you talk in in the book about uh, your upbringing. And um, uh, we mentioned your, your, your daughter, and, and you mentioned the loss of, of uh, your son uh, a moment ago. Um, I, I couldn't help but notice that the difference in terms of upbringing, say, um, between your generation and your kids' generation. Um, uh, you, you contrast that as well with, with um, your dis- descriptions of being a parent. Um, mm-hmm. th- things are different now than they were, say, when you were growing up. Even, even uh, now between the time that your kids were growing up, right? Yeah, I think there's a difference. And I think also, you know, I was in a family that they like to refer to them as intact, which I take some issue with that word. But, you know, when you have two parents and and a bunch of kids, and, I mean, I think family can be defined however, myself. Um, But I had to, I had to raise my daughter and my son, um, not completely alone. Uh-huh. Her father, her father was 
definitely very involved in my daughter's life and my son's life up to a point. But he lived it in a different way than I did, you know, in terms of the experience. And, you know, I think that the young kids now have more autonomy and more, um, you know, they're on their phones and they're on their computers and, uh, I, you know, TikTok and iPads. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit harder to maintain the kind of day-to-day closeness, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm 40, and um, I I don't have children, and, and nor do I plan to have children. Um, and I couldn't help but think, as I was reading the book, that, that in, in in this aspect, that um, how one grows up uh, obviously changes generation to generation. And in the book, you cover say what it was like growing up with your parents, um, what it was like raising children, and then now um, your, your children, your, your daughter is an adult. Um, these are very different experiences for, for these three different aspects of, of um, sorry, three generations, I guess, right? Um, does it get better, do you think? Do I think it gets better? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 these things change and evolve, parenting and, and, and yeah. growing up. But I, yeah. I wonder if it does get better, say. I mean, in, in, in yeah. many ways it does, but it, in, in some ways it doesn't, does it? Yeah, I'm not sure I would use the word better. I mean, each period is different. And, um, you know, my father, who was a difficult man, did the best that he could. I'm quite sure that he, that he loved his kids a whole lot. Um, just as, you know, uh, in, you know, in, for my daughter, the fact that we came from, we had a family that with, um, where we were co-parenting, but in separate places, um, you know, had its challenges for her. So whether whether it's better or worse, I'm not sure. I guess even the, the use of the word better, I think, I think we just want, we want um, things to be easier, I guess, for children uh, mm-hmm. to grow up, and, and, and maybe I'm, I'm conflating the two. Possibly. I mean, it, the thing with kids now is, they're just open to so many different types of families and genders and all of those kinds of things. And um, people are defining family in different ways. And hopefully, kids' interests are still at the center of that. I certainly believe that they need to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you write candidly, uh, Miriam, about dealing with mental illness. Um, the, the essay where you, where you uh, describe depression as an unwanted guest is, 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 is quite a beautiful essay. Um, I, I can't help but think after reading that that um, readers will think that, that um, it gives them a language in terms of understanding what's happening to them. Is, is, is that your sense? I mean, I'm sure there have been people who've read the, the, that piece already. Is, is that the sense that you're getting from, say, readers? Yes, I am. I mean, people people say that it's important to speak these things aloud. And, um, you know, we do that a little bit more now than 20 years ago, but sure. you're, you're still dealing with, um, you know, things that make people want to withdraw often. And uh, I think my message is that, you know, it sucks 
for sure. Yeah. Excuse my language. But reaching out is part of how you how you're going to get through it. And of course, in Canada, you know, we have a wonderful healthcare system to a point, but the kinds of services that are needed for people with mental health care issues are really not there and available um, and affordable, right? So that they're so that everyone can take part, get the help that they need. Yeah, that, that's a thing that I think, regardless of what province one lives in, um, you realize that uh, you know there, there are all kinds of campaigns, corporate campaigns, or even governments themselves, talking about how important mental illness is, and yet you know if you had to think about how to get help, for example, um, there are great many challenges to, to it. Still, a great many barriers to it. Still, even um, not not just uh, obviously financial. Um, but um, people getting on wait lists and the sort, you hear that all the time, don't you? That's right. And sometimes these are not things that can wait. Indeed. You know, maybe a week or two weeks take to get in to see somebody. You know, it, you can accept that, but some people are waiting months. And that's just, I just think in a country like ours, that's not acceptable. Um, it's not always easy to uh, talking about being bipolar and living with that. Um, you do that in the book, though. You, you um, and, and there's there's one part of the book where you compare it to coming out. Um, is it still difficult to talk about? I mean, how are you finding it in terms of say how not just the book is received or the pieces therein are received, but say when when you when you're out and about uh, speaking. To audiences, for example, um, did you find that there's some discomfort even now? Sometimes there is. I haven't read those pieces in my readings as much, uh-huh. I've, I've, but I must say that in my own life, you know, it's 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 been an evolution to now. If, for example, I in, um, encounter what I call a bump in the road. Um, I've been more open about it to, say, organizations that I work in, that I volunteer with, mm. and the responses have been fantastic. You know, people wish me well, and, and you know, if I need to take two months or month, usually it's a month, you know, I need to take a month and not be doing whatever it was I was, was doing, that's okay. Yeah. You also write about um, a suicide attempt, and um, the thing that that, that uh, struck me as I was reading that was that um, there's a moment there where um, you're taken to get care, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, sort of sort of the amazement that you 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 feel that that it's an illness that that you have a disease in terms of of, of um, depression, mental illness. Um, and how much of that was a relief? Would you describe how, how that moment of, of clarity, if you will, came about and, and what that felt like? Well, I think the moment of clarity was there's so much shame that one feels mm. when one gets ill, and it's all part of the internal dialogue that can be pretty negative. You know, I'm no good, I can't do anything, nobody loves me. You know, it can be any number of things. And the point where the, I think you want me to tell this story, where I called my psych, 
psychiatrist, I was taken to um, I was taken to the hospital, and I called him quite late at night when it was happening, and he said to me, "It's okay. This is the illness speaking." And that really gave me a little bit of relief from all of the, you know, I did this to myself, you, you, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. All the self-blame that's part of the matrix of things that make up mentally, you know, a, a, a moment, a mental health moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, has writing about yourself... Um, has that resulted in some clarity about your own life? I mean, do you realize something about yourself that you might not have known simply by writing it down or writing about it? Um, yeah, I definitely do. Because I think one of, a teacher once said to me, you know, you don't really know what you're going to say until you've, or what your thought is until you write it down. And that's been an interesting lesson for me so that I use... You know, I keep a journal, and I, I write various things, and um, I come away feeling more grounded, more more centered on what it is I'm trying to do in my life. Yeah, I think that's what, what a lot of people who don't write, myself, for, for example, I think that's what, that's what one envies of writers who are able to write about themselves and then, say, glean some sort of um, insider wisdom, especially from the act of writing itself. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I get in, information or, or wisdom from things I read, and mm -hmm. um, I can't help but just, just wish that I could do that. But is, is writing something that, that, that a writer like yourself would, would recommend for, for all people or most people, say? I would. Yeah. I would. I think it helps people a lot to... I mean, for me, when I was a kid, my mom would say, when there was a big decision, she'd say, okay, go upstairs, take a piece of paper, write pros on one side and cons on the other, yeah. <laughs> and start, you know, figure, and see if you can figure it out, and then let's talk. Um, so it probably started for me that way. Uh, and, you know, but some people are talkers, you know, and that's fine, too. They, they um figure things out by saying it in different ways. Yeah. But I think for the reflection on issues, yeah, I think for reflection on issues, it doesn't hurt to get out of the pen and paper or on your computer, um, mark down some things from a, like a journal point of view. Yeah, yeah. You uh, write about the, the, the death of uh, your son Jake uh, mm -hmm. at the age of 14. Um, in terms of understanding the loss of, of, of a child, um, I know it's your book and, and you've written down your story. Do, do you think um, readers will find um, something useful, say, in terms of how to contend with, with a loss like that in, in, in your book? Yeah, readers have told me of this book and also when the pieces come out and, you know, something came out in the Globe, another, no. you know, a little while ago. And they'll say to me, you know, that touched me or, yeah, I lost so-and-so and, and I really learned something from the kinds of things you had to say. One of the things I talk about is 
the rituals that I've created, and I haven't created them up, like out of some handbook. It just came about over a ta- period of time. You know, there's a tree at the end of the street where I live or near where I live um, that's a, in memoriam for Jake. And, you know, I go there every couple of times a week, and it means something to me. Um, and I think there's other rituals that you can um, put into place, like like talking about the person. You know, sometimes there's a tendency not to. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure that that serves anyone. So we still keep up his pictures uh-huh. around the house. And um, one of the grandchildren actually, you know, they ask what the story was when they were little, what the story was, and what did he die from. And um, one of the kids asked if they could come to his birthday party, Mm. (laughs) which was rather sweet. But so the person is still part of, because they're still part of the family. Indeed. Yeah. And I understand that, as as you write in the book, that... um, it was a very long time um, that you had Jake's ashes with you. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, about 15 years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't, I think I wasn't ready to let him go. And um, the process of going back to, we went back to a place in Ontario. It's called Manitoulin Island and uh-huh. the, the North Channel very beautiful, very serene, and it just happens that that's where Jake was conceived. And so that year we made the trip, we being Jake's stepdad uh-huh. and myself, and um, it was a very meaningful moment to scatter them, yeah. scatter the ashes. That yeah. Is. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you, you write uh, also that, that art and writing uh, helped you through the grief um, mm-hmm. I was curious about art. Um, in terms of, of uh, uh, there will always be pieces of art that, that say mark our lives. The first time we saw a piece by so and so, or, or, or um, some sketches by by that artist. Um, uh, did you find that, that that's the case in, in your own life? That there are certain things that, that fascinated you as a child, even um, that. Um, that you take deal with or contend with throughout your life. I mean, uh, you mentioned this artist uh, Colwitz. Um, yes. I understand that, that you didn't been introduced to their their work um, quite early on. Is that right? That's right. She was one of my mother's favorite artists, Katha Colwitz from Germany. And um, but in the in my story, it's she that picture was always above the piano in our house and I was practicing quite a bit and you don't know when you're a kid that something's going to have that kind of meaning for you later (laughs) necessarily (laughs) but um, when I looked at the picture again the summer that I was writing that essay I thought boy you know that's really been here for quite a long time in my life had intergenerational meaning for my mom for me and possibly for my daughter, partly because there's, it's a picture of a mother and child. And when I go to readings, I take the picture and show people, you know, it's, it's a print, photocopy prints. And um, it's just something that, you know, it's just something that really t- 
touches uh, me, and I think it touches other people. Yeah, isn't that the thing that fascinates one about art, that, that um, uh, sometimes uh, we see these things as, as young people. In your case, you saw this one piece as, as a child, and, and um, it... it um, it's a memory, obviously, but but it uh, it's a memory that that carries so much with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there mm-hmm. are pieces now that I, I remember seeing as a kid, and then um, not realizing that that, or even a song, or even a book that that one had to read at school, for example, and then um, it becomes. Um, I guess these things these things come into one's life, um, not knowing that you need these things, right? That's true. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And a lot of what's uh, the writing of this book and the other essays that I'm working on now, you know, you look at a photo and you go from there, kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, the um, uh, I mentioned your daughter earlier. Um, there's a piece in the book where you talk about the grief uh, after after Jake's death and and how uh, you, you talk you, you call it this interplay uh, between your grief and and your daughter's grief um, it, it can be very different and at the same time as a parent to her uh, mm-hmm. your grief could be a burden or can be mm-hmm. um, how do you how do you avoid that well I think you have to find age-appropriate ways to let kids know what's happening. And I tried to do that with my daughter as she was growing up. Um, But I think it's, you know, it's tough because you have to keep, to some extent, you, you keep your own grief as a parent partly to yourself, not fully because that wouldn't be true, but partly to yourself. And because um, you want the other kid to just be able to have their life and live their life. And, you know, she was in grade six at the time, and I wanted her to, you know, go for it yeah. and enjoy herself. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what I'd say about that. Yeah. And there's, a, there's another piece in the book where um, the two of you uh, take a trip through the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I found fascinating about that is it's a great travel log, if you will, and it's a great uh, way to meet other members of the extended family. Um, at, at the same time, it's it's about, say, letting go as much as it is about, say, trying to hold on to mm-hmm. one another. I mean, you, 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 the, the, the parental dynamic is there, but at the same time, it, it's, it's really two adults now at, at this point interacting with one another, and I... And that's what I found um, fascinating. Was reading that piece that that um, that you're you're coming to some realization. I don't know if she did, but but you certainly did mm-hmm. it that during that trip, or, or even in those moments after, right? Yeah, and it's all about. I mean, I I think from the first time they take a step, it's all about letting go, right, at different levels, um, and working it out as two adult women um, who are more than related, you know, yeah. um, takes some doing. 
And I think we're, you know, we're figuring that out. She's moved as one of the pieces in the uh, book at the end is about her leaving to go to that, live in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And um, that was very hard for me and continues to be, continues to be. You know, I miss her. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thrilled that she's finding her own way and making a niche for herself. And, you know, it's great. Both uh, things can be true at the same time, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Did you find it, um, I hate to ask this question, but um, just looking at my notes here, the, the question that I wrote down is, is, is it easier writing about sex and mental illness, which I don't think is a right way to <laughs> put it. But um, you do write about uh, how certain medications, I guess, it, it, it does a number on one's libido. Um, say, you know, medications that you need to take for, for mental illness. But... Um, you, you found that pot. Um, I, I guess that helped in terms of of, of um, say sex. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it did. And of course, at the time, nobody was offering it. Now that it's legal, right? There are possibilities. Um, I the couple those couple of pieces I really wrote because I wanted people to understand that, like, it's not their fault for one thing if they're not responding sexually in a way that they used to or that they want to, and that doctors have to help figure out a way to deal with this particular side effect of the medication Um, because this is such an essential part of living. And and I should note that, as you do in that piece, that um, whatever medications one one's taking, whether whether it's for mental illness or any other sort of conditions that we we have, um, wh- whether we add pot to to say that mix, uh, that, that's something that the, the the person should say check with their healthcare provider, right? Absolutely, absolutely, because there are some interactions. Um, some, you know, I don't think there's been enough research done yet to say exactly what they are, but. There's some preliminary research that suggests smoking pot can, like a lot, you know, if you're smoking a lot of pot and you have bipolar, that it can encourage a manic episode. So, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not an expert. I just know that that's out, that's out there and it's yeah. in the, some of the studies. And it would be wise to always consult a practitioner. Yeah. Um, but but in your but case, even, even just yeah. even just to raise it with them, right. that was really hard. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. Um, um, but it did work in your case, and and um, it, it, that that piece about say uh, being able to um, um, realize an orgasm, say at, at sixty, that, that mm-hmm. is that, is that a piece that you read in, um, in in front of audiences? And and I'm curious to know if so, what reaction you get from from people. Yeah, I haven't yet, no. Ah, okay. I haven't. I I um, circulated it in a class that I took, a webinar, uh-huh. and and got some feedback, which people seem to be okay with it. Yeah. I have When I'm giving a reading, I have to feel strong enough myself and with some distance from the subject matter, because it is so close to me, to be able to carry off the reading. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, and and, and as you say that, um, I, I'm sure there are people listening to us who wonder why write it down at all. 
if that's how you have to deal with it. Hmm. Well, I think there's a service to others in knowing yeah. that there are possible ways to come to orgasm, even if you're on medication. And the, I mean, the other piece in that, not, not just seeing medications and pot, but, you know, there's tools, <laughs> sex right. tools like vibrators that can be helpful. Yeah. Nobody ever tells you that. Yeah, no one, no one really talks about sex, do they? Um, I mean, we talk about sex, but we don't talk about, um, say, the things that, that one needs <laughs> or, or one, one deals with without, say, giggling or, 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 um, there is a great discomfort there, isn't there, for a lot of people still, a great hang-up. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And it's different between men and women, right? They do talk about effects of libido, you know, negative effects on libido for men. Um, but there's Viagra that you can take, for example, and it's a little less clear for females in terms of the kind of sexual response generally, right? Yeah. I guess the lesson is, as, 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 as we wrap up here, Miriam, after reading your book, The Swirl in My Brill, um, is that um, saying what we need to say out loud, whether it's writing or, or as you suggested earlier, speaking, um, these things are important and, and they can save one's life and and i th- i think um mm-hmm. i think a, you know a reader of your book will probably realize that more than more than they, they expected i suppose yeah i think so. i mean i hope so i hope so i think this you know there's stories of all different kinds and what people take from it will be you know each one will take what they what they find most important but it seems to me that the book provides some ways to think about issues that we all face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are, are, are you glad you wrote the book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I wrote the, the essays and, and got them put together in a book. Um, it's, um, you know, it feels like an achievement. Mm-hmm as well as putting, making me more vulnerable in certain ways. Yeah, did you regret that part of it, having to talk about certain things that, that, that um, um, you know, are, are in your mind that, are, that are, uh, one might consider private to one's life, the, having to expose oneself, say? I think I had to realize that that was going to happen, and... Um, yeah, that's the kind of decision-making goes into does this essay stay or go when you're putting the final manuscript together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed uh, the book and, and, and speaking uh, to you today, Miriam. Congratulations on, on it. It, it. It is a fine achievement, and continue good luck with it. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Joe. The website for more is at miriamedelson.com. The book is called The Swirl in My Burl. It's published by Adelaide Books. Its author, Miriam Edelson, joined me on the line from Toronto, Ontario. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Plunder.